Welcome to the February 29th, 2024 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the findings from a prospective trial of Brentuximab vidotin with decarbazine or nivolumab in older patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma. Learn more about CD20 antigen loss as a mechanism of resistance to mosonutuzumab in relapsed refractory B-cell lymphomas. And discuss the role of trogocytosis in red blood cell antigen loss. We first examined data in the blood article entitled Brentuximab Vidotin with decarbazine or nivolumab as frontline CHL therapy in older patients ineligible for chemotherapy by Jonathan W. Friedberg from the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York, and colleagues. Largely owing to recent advancements in therapies, the overall survival of adult patients with advanced stage classical Hodgkin lymphoma has improved dramatically over the past two decades. However, Approximately 20% of patients are 60 years or older, and outcomes in this group remain inferior to outcomes in younger patients. In the E2496 and Echelon 1 trials, the long-term overall survival of patients 60 years or older was 58% and 74% respectively, compared to more than 90% for patients younger than 60 years of age. The standard of care for patients 60 years or older with classical Hodgkin lymphoma has not been established in treatment guidelines. Sequential treatment with antibody drug conjugate Brentuximab vidotin, followed by chemotherapy and Brentuximab vidotin maintenance, has demonstrated favorable outcomes in a study of older patients who could complete the regimen. The authors previously reported that Brentuximab vidotin as monotherapy and in combination with decarbazine, yields response rates greater than 90% in older patients with a median duration of response of 9 months and 45 months, respectively, in a different study performed in younger patients with relapsed or refractory classical Hodgkin lymphoma. The combination of brentuximab vidotin and nivolumab yielded high and durable complete response rates although 74% of patients received an autologous stem cell transplant. In the current study, the authors report the results from a multicenter phase 2 trial evaluating the safety and efficacy of combination therapy with brentuximab vidotin with decarbazine or nivolumab in previously untreated older patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma. The phase 2 open-label SGN35015 trial tested brentuximab vidotin as monotherapy or in combination with decarbazine or nivolumab in the frontline setting. The study had six parts. The current study reports on the final results from parts B and D, which enrolled patients 60 years or older who were unfit for conventional chemotherapy, who had an ECOG performance status of 3 or less in part B or 2 or less in part D. On day one of each three-week cycle, Patients in Part B of the study were treated with 1.8 mg per kilogram brentuximab vidotin plus 375 mg per meter squared decarbazine. 
while in Part B, they received 1.8 mg per kilogram brentuximab vidotin and 3 mg per kilogram nivolumab, patients in both groups were treated for up to 16 cycles. The study's main endpoint was the objective response rate, or ORR, complete response, duration of response, progression-free survival, and overall survival were also assessed. In Parts B and D, 50% of patients had three or more general comorbidities, and 38% of patients had one or more significant comorbidities. Of the 22 patients treated with the brentuximab vidotin dacarbazine combination, 85% achieved an objective response, and 64% achieved a complete response. With a median follow-up of 63.6 months, the median duration of response was 46 months, median progression-free survival was 47.2 months, and median overall survival was not reached. Of 21 patients who were treated with the brentuximab-vidotin-nivolumab combination, 86% achieved an objective response, and 67% achieved a complete response. With a median follow-up of 51.6 months, the median duration of response, median progression-free survival, and median overall survival were not reached. 46% of patients treated with brentuximab-vidotin-dacarbazine combination and 76% of patients treated with brentuximab-vidotin-nivolumab combination experienced grade 3 or greater treatment-emergent adverse events. Sensory peripheral neuropathy and neutropenia were most common in the decarbazine group, while increased lipase, motor peripheral neuropathy, and sensory peripheral neuropathy were most common in the nivolumab group. The authors concluded that these results demonstrate safety and promising durable efficacy of brentuximab-vidotin-decarbazine and brentuximab-vidotin-nivolumab combinations as frontline treatment in older patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma who may be unfit for initial conventional chemotherapy. In an accompanying commentary, Ryan Lynch from Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, Washington, notes that the findings, reported by Friedberg and colleagues, beg the question of whether a proportion of patients with classical Hodgkin lymphoma can be cured without a standard chemotherapy approach. Although the cohorts in the current study were small, the response rates were high, and with a median follow-up of over four years, almost half of the responses were durable. Based on the overall response and complete response rates, both treatment combinations were highly active, and the toxicity rates were similar, with an overall significantly higher rate of sensory neuropathy in patients treated with the brentuximab-vidotin-decarbazine combination, 77% versus 48%. In contrast to a previous study of brentuximab-vidotin-nivolumab combination in older adults with classical Hodgkin lymphoma, which was closed early due to insufficient activity, median progression-free survival was not reached in the current study. Lynch hypothesizes that the improved outcomes may be due to prolonged therapy in the Friedberg study, 42.9 weeks compared to 8 weeks, while brentuximab-vidotin Nivolumab may represent a new effective treatment option for older patients unfit for chemotherapy, several open questions remain. First, it is not clear how well this study represents unfit patients with an ECOG performance status of 2 or greater at diagnosis. Second, the best approach in patients who may become eligible for combination chemotherapy 
as their lymphoma-related impairments resolve, remains unknown. And third, in patients opting for a chemotherapy-free approach, it is not clear whether brentuximab vidotin should be omitted at the first sign of neuropathy and the treatment with nivolumab continued. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled Loss of CD20 Expression as a Mechanism of Resistance to Mosonutuzumab in Relapsed Refractory B-Cell Lymphomas by Stephen Schuster from the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and colleagues. The CD20 antigen is expressed by more than 95% of normal B lymphocytes, and it is an established therapeutic target in B-cell malignancies. Therapies targeting CD20 have been successfully used in combination with chemotherapy in several B-cell malignancies. For example, the monoclonal antibodies rituximab and obinutuzumab are a component of standard-of-care first-line therapies for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma and follicular lymphoma, respectively. These anti-CD20 agents are also commonly used for relapsed refractory B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Mosunituzumab is a first-in-class CD20-CD3 T-cell-engaging bispecific antibody that redirects CD3-expressing T-cells to eliminate malignant CD20-expressing B-cells. It has shown significant clinical activity in patients with relapsed refractory follicular lymphoma who have received two or more lines of prior systemic therapy and has received accelerated approval in this setting. It is currently being investigated in several other indications, including aggressive non-Hodgkin lymphoma and in novel combinations. CD20 is encoded by MS4A1 and is a member of the membrane-spanning four-domain family, subfamily A, or MS4A, which consists of four transmembrane helical domains, two conserved extracellular loops, and intracellular N and C terminal sequences. Conserved sequences within the ECL2 loop are part of a shared epitope for several anti-CD20 agents, including rituximab and obinutuzumab. Other anti-CD20 agents, such as ofatumumab, bind to sequences located in both ECL1 and ECL2. Target loss has been confirmed as a mechanism of resistance to CD20-directed therapies. The purpose of the current study was to evaluate the loss of CD20 across multiple NHL histologies in the Phase 1-2-GO299781 mosunutuzumab monotherapy trial. Biopsies of adults with relapsed refractory B-cell non-Hodgkin lymphoma were collected in the GO299781 trial. Patients had received two or more prior lines of therapy, followed by mosunutuzumab monotherapy. CD20 was studied using immunohistochemistry, RNA sequencing, and whole exome sequencing performed centrally in biopsies collected before treatment or as paired samples at predose and on treatment or at progression. The influence of MS4A1 mutations on T-cell-mediated activation and tumor cell killing was evaluated in in vitro cell models. Most biopsies obtained prior to mosunutuzumab treatment 
approximately 83.6%, exhibited high levels of CD20 expression, defined as 75% or more CD-positive B-cells in the tumor area. Approximately 10.9% of patients displayed intermediate levels of CD20 expression, in the range from 10 to 74%, and only 5.5% had low levels of CD20 expression, amounting to less than 10%. The authors found no significant correlation between the proportion of CD20-positive cells before treatment with mosunotuzumab and response. However, clinical activity was not observed in patients with CD20 expression levels less than 10%. Modulation of CD20 expression was examined by comparing levels of CD20 expression in sequential biopsies, comparing pretreatment, on-treatment, and at-progression samples. In paired biopsies, from patients who had baseline expression levels of 10% or higher, samples obtained on-treatment revealed that CD20 levels were maintained in 97%. In contrast, 34% of patients with samples at progression showed CD20 loss. Most, but not all, cases of CD20 antigen loss were explained by reduced transcription or acquisition of truncating mutations. A closer look at the development of progression events on mosinotuzumab revealed three distinct types of events, each with specific timing, mechanism, and therapeutic implications. Firstly, approximately one-half of patients experienced immediate progression, or primary refractoriness, within weeks of starting treatment, despite strong CD20 expression. This occurrence was more common in aggressive B-cell histologies. Secondly, approximately one-third of progression events occurred three to nine months from the first dose, either while still on therapy or soon after completion. This group was characterized by acquired CD20 loss and MS4A1 mutations. Finally, a group of patients progressed much later, 6 to 24 months after completing therapy and after achieving a complete response. These relapses were associated with retained CD20 expression on the tumor, and patients remained highly sensitive to retreatment with mosunotuzumab. The authors concluded that this study expands knowledge about the occurrence of target antigen loss after CD20 targeting by specific antibodies and highlights the underlying mechanisms for reduced CD20 expression at disease progression that may be generalizable to other anti-CD20 targeting agents. In an accompanying commentary, Adam J. Olszewski from Alpert Medical School of Brown University notes that the findings from the study by Schuster and colleagues have important implications for clinical practice and future research. Evaluating CD20 expression before therapy and at progression can inform the decision whether CD20 or CD19-directed therapy should be considered, or if patients should be retreated with a bispecific antibody. Since resistance to mosinotuzumab cannot be overcome with a single strategy, Olszewski suggests that antigen escape can be addressed by targeting two separate tumor markers simultaneously, either using tri-specific antibodies or by combining a CD20-CD3 drug with an adjunct bispecific. Other approaches that could be considered include combining bispecific antibodies with immunomodulatory agents like lenalidomide and checkpoint inhibitors, or 
instituting periodic breaks in therapy to facilitate T-cell recovery. Olszewski concludes that the biggest challenge probably lies in preventing primary refractoriness in high-grade tumors characterized by immune exclusion. In those cases, combinations with chemotherapy or antibody drug conjugates may be the best approach. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled Trogocytosis Drives Red Blood Cell Antigen Loss in Association with Antibody-Mediated Immune Suppression by Yolis Cruz-Leal from Canadian Blood Services in Ontario, Canada, and colleagues. Hemolytic disease of the fetus and newborn, or HDFN, is an alloimmune condition characterized by the destruction of fetal red blood cells by maternal antibodies specific to RBC antigens. Maternal alloantibodies, most frequently anti-RHD, cross the placenta and destroy incompatible fetal red blood cells. HDFN can manifest with a range of symptoms, including neonatal death in the most severe cases. Most cases of clinically significant HDFN are associated with alloantibodies against antigens from the RH, Kel, Kid, Duffy, and MNS families. The only prophylactic treatment currently available to prevent anti-RHD formation in RH-negative pregnant women is the administration of human polyclonal anti-RHD. This prophylaxis is the only example of antibody-mediated immune suppression, or AMIS, used clinically to prevent alloimmunization and HDFN. Several mechanisms have been proposed to date to explain AMIS, including RBC clearance, epitope masking, steric hindrance, antibody-mediated immune deviation, IgG glycosylation, cytokine effects, and others. More recently, antigen loss has been proposed as a possible mechanism of AMIS, with data indicating that antibodies capable of removing the antigen from the surface of red blood cells can prevent alloimmunization. Although antigen loss has been thoroughly studied in monoclonal antibody-based therapies for cancer, the nuances of this mechanism in AMIS remain unclear. In the current study, the authors study the ability of 11 different antibody variants to induce AMIS, RBC clearance, antigen loss, and RBC membrane loss in the hen egg, lysosome, ovalbumin, human duffy, also known as the HOD, mouse model. Mice were then transfused with 10 to the 8 PKH26 positive HOD RBCs, followed by injection with antibodies against different portions of the HOD antigen, 18 hours after the RBC transfusion. Immune response and RBC clearance were evaluated by ELISA and flow cytometry in vitro cultures of mouse raw macrophages and bone marrow-derived macrophages were used to study RBC antigen and membrane loss. Phagocytosis experiments with anti-D, human RBCs, and THP1CD16A as phagocytic cells were performed according to previously published protocols. The findings revealed that antibodies targeting different portions of the HOD molecule could induce AMIS independent of their ability to clear red blood cells. However, 
all antibodies capable of inducing a strong amos effect also caused significant in vivo loss of the HOD antigen in conjunction with the loss of red blood cells. The authors attributed amos to antigen depletion via trogocytosis, a phenomenon of membrane-bound component transfer to macrophages. This was confirmed by antigen reduction in the presence of macrophages without inducing phagocytosis. Additional examinations showed that antibodies targeting specific sections of the HOD molecule led to antigen and membrane loss from RBCs in the presence of macrophages. Similar results were observed with anti-RHD in human red blood cells. Trogocytosis was confirmed using confocal microscopy, which showed macrophages containing membrane segments from sensitized red blood cells. However, the authors also observed erythrophagocytosis, either concurrently with or independent of trogocytosis, which indicates that both processes may be involved in AMIS. The authors concluded that trogocytosis is a plausible mechanism of AMIS induction. In an accompanying commentary, Mahmoud Mikdar from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health in Boston, Massachusetts, and Slim Azuzi from the National Reference Center for Blood Groups, CNRGS, in Paris, France. Note that the study by Cruz, Leal, and collaborators provides important new insights into the mechanism of red blood cell antigen loss, previously proposed by this group and others to be implicated in amus of erythrocyte alloimmunization independent of red blood cell clearance, or epitope masking. Furthermore, the authors demonstrate that some amus-inducing antibodies targeting RBC antigens, including anti-RHD, can trigger antigen loss through trogocytosis without necessitating RBC clearance. This novel molecular mechanism of amus paves the way for developing new prophylactic strategies to prevent HDFN. Mikdar and Azuzi note that future studies should assess the impact of trogocytosis on RBC integrity and lifespan. Additionally, studies focused on assessing the balance between trogocytosis and erythrophagocytosis in mediating antibody-induced RBC antigen loss should consider the tissue where these phenomena might occur, the inflammatory state of patients, and the different types of macrophages involved. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.